Good morning and welcome to worship as we celebrate the festival of the Reformation of the Church. As we give thanks for all that God accomplished through his servant, Dr. Martin Luther, in restoring the gospel to its proper place in people's hearts and lives, bringing to us that wonderful proclamation of the gospel that we are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, as proclaimed in Holy Scripture alone. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Amen. On this Reformation Festival, we turn our thoughts to Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it is addressed to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be subject to God's judgment. For this reason, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law, for through the law we become aware of sin. But now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. In fact, there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in his blood. God did this to demonstrate his justice, since in his divine restraint he had left the sins that were committed earlier unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so that he would be both just and the one who justifies the person who has faith in Jesus. What happens to boasting then? It has been eliminated. By what principle? By the principle of works? No but by the principle of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith without the works of the law. The word of God. In our Lord Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed, you ever found yourself wishing that you were something that you aren't and something that you'll probably never be? If only I had lightning speed and a pair of hands that could catch any ball thrown my way, it would really be something to be a wide receiver in the National Football League, to hear the roar of the crowd on Sunday afternoon. But that's not going to happen. I'll never know what that's like. If only I could turn back time and be 20 years all over again, knowing what I know now, some of the things that I'd handled differently, some of the mistakes that I've made that I would then avoid, but that's not going to happen. I'll, I'll never be 20 years old again. If only. Back in the 1500s, Martin Luther wanted to be something that he wasn't. He wanted to be righteous. He wanted to be holy. He wanted to be right with God. 
But there was a phrase that terrified Luther. The phrase, the righteousness of God. That phrase filled him with this holy terror. Because, you see, from little on, Luther had been taught to view God as more of a a stern and angry, avenging God than a God of mercy and love and compassion who forgives our sins and who desires all people to be saved. And Luther had been taught that in order to have any hope of living in heaven forever with God, he had to do something to make up for his sins. He had to live righteously and prove himself worthy of God's love. But for the life of him, Luther couldn't find any peace. He, see, he, he knew about himself, what I know about myself, what you know about yourself, that we are sinners, all of us, that we all fall short of the glory of God. So like a person on a treadmill, running hard but getting nowhere, Luther kept trying everything you could think of to make up for his sins. But the more he tried to live that righteous life, the more aware he became of his overwhelming sinfulness, and Luther became a man tormented. Until, by God's grace, He was led into a thorough study of the Word of God, and especially this book of Romans, as he prepared to teach it as a professor of religion at the University of Wittenberg. And there in this book that Luther loved so dearly, the Holy Spirit led him to a liberating understanding of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of our salvation. He led Luther to a wonderful appreciation that Luther eventually came to refer to as God's alien righteousness. So today, friends, as we gather to celebrate what happened about 506 years ago when Luther first nailed those 95 theses to the castle church door, let's turn to this portion of God's word from the third chapter of the book of Romans and here, with the eyes of faith, let's see what Luther saw and let's give thanks for our alien righteousness. Would you imagine something with me for a moment? Imagine that you had done something awful, something terrible, something criminal, and you got caught red-handed, and you were charged and accused and booked with this serious crime, and now you're standing in court. Your trial is done. You've been found guilty. And you're awaiting your sentencing from the judge. And you wait there in the courtroom, and the judge finally comes in, and he talks for a minute about your case and about all the overwhelming evidence against you and tells you, to your horror, that he has no choice than to assess you this enormous fine, more money than you know you'll ever be able to pay. And that if you're unable to pay that fine, that you will spend the next 50 years in prison. Imagine how frightened you'd be, how hopeless you'd feel. You know, here in our text, Paul is letting us know that we have all been dragged into God's court of law. In verse 19, he says, We know that whatever the law says is addressed to those who are under the law so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be subject to God's judgment. 
Paul here in our text makes, points out for us that the law actually makes us aware of our sinfulness, the times when we have def- offended God. He tells us that every human mouth is silenced, that we all fall short of God's standard of perfection, of his glory, that we can only plead guilty as charged. That righteousness that Luther longed for, that right standing that we need to get into heaven, Luther didn't have it. I sure don't have it. You don't have it. And we can't manufacture it. You know, we say it all the time, and sadly, we're absolutely right. We say, nobody's perfect. And what does the Bible teach us? That to get into heaven, we need a perfect record. Jesus said in Matthew 5, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's why Paul says here in our text, verse 20, that no one will be declared righteous in his sight, in God's sight, by the works of the law. The righteousness of God. Now you're starting to understand Luther's struggle. You know what he did about it? After a couple of close brushes with death at a very young age, Luther decided to become a Catholic monk and enter the monastery. His father wanted him to be a lawyer, but much to his father's chagrin, Luther decided that he would become a Catholic priest. And looking back on that decision later, Luther wrote this, I took the monastic vows not to fill my stomach, but to seek my salvation. And I kept all our statutes very strictly. Luther worked and worked and and strove to be the best believer that he could be. Did things over and above what was required, but still, he didn't feel any more righteous. In fact, he felt anything but right with God. And looking back on this time in his life, Luther said, with all of my masses, with prayers, fasts, vigils, and chastity, I never advanced to the point where I could say, now I'm certain that God is gracious to me. In fact, the very first time that Luther spoke the Mass. He was so terrified of God that he almost ran away from the altar without finishing the service. Righteousness. God has it and we need it. And without it, we are forever doomed to hell's eternal prison. Our text brings us there. But praise God, it doesn't leave us there. Like a bright ray of sunshine on a cloudy, gloomy day, Verse 21 says, but now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This is God's alien righteousness. And notice what our text tells us about that alien righteousness. That it is completely apart from the law. That it is from God. So it has nothing to do with any works that we perform or any obedience that we render to God. It completely comes from him as a gift of his grace, his undeserved love given to us sinners. The law and the prophets, we're told, testify to it. God shows us and reveals this righteousness to us here in the Bible, the word of God. And we're told this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe faith, this trust This confidence in what God says is the hand that receives this righteousness from God. It's an alien righteousness. 
What Luther meant to emphasize is that it's not something that we have. It's not something we can obtain for ourselves. It has to come from outside of us. It has to come from somewhere else. It's something foreign to us, something that was, was given to us. God gave us righteousness. That's why Luther kept calling it an alien righteousness. A righteousness that isn't ours inherently, but that God gives to us because of his wonderful grace. You remember the movie E.T., right? The story of this, this alien from outer space, this extraterrestrial creature who suddenly came into the lives of a fairly dysfunctional family. And rather than be scared to death by this lovable little alien, E.T. brought that troubled family something that it didn't have before, love and caring and understanding and kindness. God sent us an alien too, a righteousness from him, a holiness. Friend, ponder this. Let it take your breath away. Think of what your precious Savior has done for you. He took all of your sins from you and put them on himself and carried them to the cross and there paid the penalty that they had racked up in full. Jesus took away your sin. And that's why the thought is expressed in verse 25 that Christ Jesus and his cross, that's what God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in his blood. By the blood of Jesus, you have been set at one with God, connected to him. You have a right standing with God. And then Paul goes on to explain that while for generations it may have seemed as though God had just kind of winked at sin and left it go unpunished, in reality, God had a plan because he's a God of justice. And on that dark Friday that we call good, God showed that justice when he heaped all of his wrath and punishment on Jesus. The punishment we deserve. Jesus took away our sins so that we are no longer guilty in God's sight. And then God took the holy life that Jesus Christ had lived and he gave it to us as a gift of his grace. Our alien righteousness. You know, God's beautiful gospel promises, they reach down from heaven and they pull us up out of our brokenness and sin so that he can say to us, I declare you righteous, so put away your guilt and your doubt and your shame and your fear. Stop burning with embarrassment over your past. Stop hanging your head in shame. You can stand before me. You can be right with me because I declare it so in the face of all of your unworthiness. You are righteous in Christ Jesus. Now understand, that alien righteousness has become yours. You now have the righteousness that God demands. When God brings us to faith, he covers us with that righteousness, that holiness of Jesus, so that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And Luther never looked back. Once the Holy Spirit brought him to this solid conviction, he preached it and he taught it and he lived it. Luther stopped trusting his own works to generate a righteousness before God. Instead, he wrote this, Through faith in Christ, therefore, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. All that he has becomes ours. Rather, he himself becomes ours. This is an infinite righteousness and one that swallows up all sins in a moment. For it is impossible 
that sin should exist in Christ. On the contrary, he who trusts in Christ exists in Christ. He is one with Christ, having the same righteousness as Christ. Or to say it another way, believer, when you stand before God, he looks at you and he sees Christ. That's your alien righteousness. That's Christ for you. So let's go back to that courtroom for a moment. You're standing there, speechless, before this judge who just assessed you a fine that was far beyond what you'd ever be able to pay. And your mind starts spinning, thinking about life in prison. How awful, how difficult, how degrading it's going to be. And your skin crawls just thinking about it. And then the judge stands up. And he takes off his black robe and he walks over to you and he hands you a briefcase and says, open it up. You open it and it's filled with crisp, clean $100 bills. And the judge says to you, this is yours. I'm giving it to you. There's more than enough there to pay your fine. But see, I care about you. And I care about your freedom. And I want you to have this as a gift. And you're overwhelmed and you say, well, your honor, I'll pay. No, he stops you. I just want to give you this gift. It's free. Now go and live your life and enjoy your freedom. What would you do? Would you rush out of that courtroom and commit some crime the first chance you had figuring, well, it's no big deal. I mean, if I get caught, that judge will just bail me out. Of course not. You would want to change your life. You would want to live in the freedom and the joy that you have now because of what he's done for you, and you'd be happy to do so. Would you keep quiet about generosity like that? Never. You'd tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, anyone willing to listen about the incredibly wonderful, generous thing this judge did for you. Would you explain it away by telling people, well, you know, what the judge did was nice and all, but I think he only did it because he knew that I'm actually a really good person. Absolutely not. You would want to be careful not to spoil that gift and not to take anything away from the judge's generosity. My friends, by God's rich grace, we are standing where Martin Luther stood squarely on the word of God, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our truth. Let's guard it and let's defend it with all our might. After all, this truth tells us this remarkable good news, the good news of our alien righteousness, the righteousness that was completely outside of us that God freely gave us for Jesus' sake. Let's be careful not to start taking that alien righteousness for granted. Let's be careful by not spoiling that that alien righteousness by trying to add our own works to the equation for salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, as proclaimed in Holy Scripture alone. And for heaven's sake, let's not bottle up this good news and just keep it to ourselves. This is not our little secret. Let's go and tell anyone and everyone the good news, sharing it freely.
I've come to grips with the fact that I will never be a star wide receiver in the NFL. Nor will I ever have the chance to be 20 years old again. But Christ Jesus had made me what I am not. He made me righteous. And he did that by becoming what he was not. He became sin for me. The result for us? We say it along with Paul at the end of our text. For we conclude that a person is justified, declared not guilty, by faith, without the works of the law. Today and every day, dear Christians, celebrate your alien righteousness. Amen. Amen. 